Welcome back to the Rise, Grind, Repeat podcast, the podcast where we talk to successful entrepreneurs about their journey and how they got there. This podcast brought to you by EIC Agency, the agency that makes every impression count. This week, we talked to Brian Barrett, the owner of Oak Creek Trail, to discuss the differences between geofencing and geotargeting. Without further ado, here's your host, digital marketing entrepreneur, Dustin Trout. On today's episode of Rise, Grind, Repeat, talk to Brian Barrett from Oak Creek Trail. Talk all things digital marketing, including the differences in geotargeting and geofencing, building a brand, the future of marketing technology, and analytics. He even draws on our desk. Let's hop right in. geofencing in general so depending on the industry it seems to sink or swim if your primary objective is something like a lead generation it's probably not going to be great even if you have a store uh like e-commerce or if you have a physical store you're trying to sell a consumable product it's probably okay but if you're B2B or certainly if you're more of a lead gen company, then it has limited value. It has some appeal because it feels like you're targeting, you know, but, but there's very few instances I think where you find, yeah, you'll get the target demographic, right? Psychographic profiles and all that sort of stuff. But by the time you get down to user behavior, like just because I'm close to a car dealership, like I'm not buying a car because I'm not shopping for a car. Or yeah. just because I'm close to a uh, Red Lobster, like I'm not <laughs> interested in Red Lobster right now. Mm-hmm. So you're wasting impressions. Yeah, it's a. Uh, so what do you say? It seems like it's just getting. I don't know. I see it more and more, just mm-hmm. like it, search engine land stuff like that. But it, because what it used to be is you have, I mean, a one mile radius or whatever it may be. And you have to be in there to uh, to be targeted. And now it's if you even touch it, then you can target them for up to 90 days or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's where the biggest difference is. But what's cool is that Propellant Media, um, they have where you could layer in on top of just geotargeting. Uh, so they had they they had a case study where they wanted to someone wanted to reach owners of subways. Mm-hmm. And so you could have how often they go in and stuff like that. And so layering that type of stuff in, and that's where. It's funny you mentioned the B2B. I think that there actually is a lot of opportunity in the B2B side because if there's a specific company that you want to target and you can target them and they can layer in the C-suite level people, stuff like that. Um, What are your thoughts on that? If you don't have those additional layers, again, I I think if I was bullish or bearish on geo-targeting, just in and of itself as a service or something you'd buy as advertising, I'm bearish. But as soon as you start layering in those additional sorts of, I mean, just in and of itself, adding in retargeting, retargeting to people who not only were it within like a one mile or 10 block radius, but someone who physically walked in your store, Mm -hmm. like that's a huge opportunity or knowing uh, recurring visits. I mean, those are really great opportunities to tailor messaging and re-engage customers. But in and of itself, uh, I mean, everything we do anymore in digital is you know, you can target as much as you want. Yeah. So it, it doesn't have a unique value proposition. The the 10 blocks. So, I mean, it's 
down to the point where if you're a store within a like a strip mall, mm -hmm. you could target just your little store. And mm -hmm. so, I mean, it's super precise. And so maybe there's people that are coming in to that plaza on, you know, multiple times and whatever it may be. But I, I haven't tested it a ton, but I mean, that's where it'll be fun. Feels good as a, whether you're on the agency side or on the client side to spend a lot of time producing nice creative. And there, there's value in all of that. But once you get into, I'll call it going live and testing mode, like there's just not time or money to just be iterating creative at, at, a, at a, I'll call it new concept level. So I've seen it, I think e-commerce is leading the way here about just using uh, data feeds to populate ads um, that dynamically produce display ads or emails or whatever. So it's leveraging technology um, to pinch hit to actually make some of these advertising yeah. platforms feasible. Otherwise, you're right. I mean, there there isn't they they become cost prohibitive. Yeah, and like, what are some examples of that? The the data feed. So I mean, it's so actually running into this where uh, someone wants to do like start and stop campaigns based off of the weather, mm -hmm. and I actually just found out that. Google ads can tie into weather.com's mm -hmm. API essentially. And then you can define parameters where if, I mean, that granted that's starting and stopping campaigns, but yeah. how? Yeah. I mean, if you think about any, it doesn't matter what the business is. I mean, every business has cycles, seasonality, day of week, hour of day types of things. So let's just take, I'll call those naturally occurring phenomena, either weather or macroeconomic. So even if you just had that data alone, your campaigns can be better. Mm -hmm. End of story. Um, like if you know your customers uh, visit your website and convert better on Monday, I mean, what do you do with that information? Do you serve more ads or serve less because they're organically coming? I think those are decisions you need to make, but you gotta have the data first and then have a process in place to be able to actually leverage that information. Um, you know, I like the idea of using the APIs that are out there. I think they're really underutilized. And yeah. part of it is because there's there's a knowledge gap and a and a communication hmm. gap between functions, right? You've got, and it really de depends on who you're working with from a, a client perspective, but <clears throat> you've got technical people who understand the API, and then you've got creative people uh, making ads, and then you have analytics people who sit somewhere in between there, and then you got accountant project management sitting somewhere in there. So in order to make this thing work, there's just way too many people to be quick and agile. And then there's also just huge knowledge gaps. I mean, how, how do you fix that? Cause I mean, that's as to me when it's, it's super small and everything like that, it's, you can, I mean, communicate quickly, mm -hmm. but I mean, as you start getting working with bigger clients, there's just mo more moving parts. Like outside I mean, that, of that's the, that's the responsibility of, you know, I mean, we're talking about an agency here, but also on the client side, I mean, they need to, if the objective is to, let's just say the objective is, to be efficient with our creative dollars. So one of the solutions is, hey, we've got uh, feed data, whether it's API mm -hmm. or other, and we can use that to cut down our creative costs. So that it comes from leadership. It's like, we have an objective, but then where it typically falls apart is, I'll call it the marketing department. They just don't even, they're not even aware that the, they're not even aware the tool exists or yeah. the opportunity exists. It's not, let's create less ads. That's usually the answer is let's do less work. Yeah. And that's not like digital is a living, breathing thing. Like if you do less work, you're really hurting yourself. So the ROI of what the, of what the 
executives trying to accomplish, you might achieve your cost savings, but you're hurting revenue. Mm -hmm. So it like doesn't pay for itself at all. So it's a top down thing. And then it's a, a know how situation. And then, I mean, I, it seems like, I mean, we've known this for a long time, but there's so many specialties in digital that not one person can do it. So I think where that leads is finding good agency partners who specialize in, you know, they're not a one, one size fits all shop. Mm -hmm. They're not a do it all shop. I think you, you can specialize and whether you are a one size fits all shop or not, you need to pull in the specialists. You got to pull in the specialists. I haven't found a single person or persons who can do strategy, project management, account management, analytics, Everything. ad management, you know, website development, front end, back end, API sorts of stuff. I mean, it, that's, I mean, even if you have five people, it's not enough. Yeah. It's funny because we've talked about that a lot. It's like how, I mean, everyone talks about having an agency or niching down or whatever it may be. Is It seems like companies aren't a huge fan or it's, it's just tough from a communication perspective to be talking to five, six, seven different agencies. And it's like, it, that, I don't know, that's what I think through. How do you fix that? It's like, everyone knows that you need that, but it's like, how do you get multiple agencies working together to create some type of package? Um, you got to put your ego aside first. I mean, you know, would you rather, I mean, it's kind of, <laughs> it's a yeah. played out analogy, but would you rather have a small piece of a big pie? Mm -hmm. I mean, or none. So, you know, I really think it comes down to the, the team of agencies just to figure out how to play in the sandbox. Yeah. And then do it. Like respect each other's turf, be on the same page, know that there's enough money to go around, even if it's a little bit of money, um, you know, scale your organization correctly to service that account and then go for the common goal. I mean, that's all there is to it. I mean, it sounds easy, but that's like typical organizational behavior stuff. Like whether you're one agency or, um, see you one see, agencies that have it all under one roof still have the same problems. I, I mean, they still have I, the same problems. I've worked in an agency that does pretty much everything. And yeah, mm -hmm. it's, it's, I mean, the people buying the ads don't talk to the creative people mm -hmm. on what audiences are we targeting. And I, I think outside of just multiple agency, it's just a communication thing, but it's, I, I don't know how to bridge bridge that that's it's tough i mean yeah you can communicate but it's it, there's just a lot of moving parts yeah and it's funny you mentioned communication just because there's you know all sorts of tools now i'll just pick on slack like slack's a great tool um internal to like teams that mm -hmm. we use it it works really well and we've tried to have on accounts where we have multiple agencies we've tried to set up like global slack channels and the problem with that is first of all you're on different time zones Second of all, I'm used to using Slack, but someone else isn't. They get the mm -hmm. technology. It's just a chat platform that you can organize conversations, but they use something else. So there's a learning curve and I don't have the notification set up on my phone, so I'm not paying attention to it. So those things usually fall apart. They think they usually fall apart. So in a day and age of communication, I think there's extreme value in just getting on the phone, meeting face to face, having a traditional plan with action items and just marching through it. Like you don't need, like the objective is not to use technology. <laughs> the objective <laughs> is not to use technology. I think we get caught up in it. Yeah. We're digital marketers and we got to have all this, yeah. this cool technology. Yeah. Like get out of pen like and paper. Like geofencing. <laughs> yeah, get out of pen and paper, use an Excel spreadsheet and put together a schedule and march to it. Yeah. So when, it, I mean, when it comes to the geofencing, 
I mean, obviously <laughs> it doesn't sound like you're, you're huge on it, but I mean, are, do you think there's instances where it could work? I mean, Oh yeah. So I think some very, very good use cases would be, and, and you mentioned one of uh, an example already, but where there is, I'll call it retail locations or storefronts where it's critical to the business to understand the flow of traffic. Like just simple things like what times of the day are people walking into my store? Like that has huge ramifications as far as staffing. I walked into the Sprint store the other day and it was, I don't know, 11 o'clock and there was three people working there playing on their phones. <laughs> like, of course, I live in the suburbs. Mm -hmm. It's 11 o'clock. People, if kids are at school, parents are at work, you know, it's lunch. I mean, there's no reason for three people to be there. So, I mean, the challenge with a company like Sprint is you got to scale that sort of thing. But I mean, there's a lot of cost savings just in human resources. If you could use a little bit of technology to figure that out, a yeah. little bit of technology. So and that's not even talking about marketing. Yeah. That's just, using that's just the data. logistics. And yeah. It's just logistics. But some of these, some of these marketing or advertising companies, they're starting to be able to figure that out. So it's actually a business opportunity or revenue stream for the advertising companies if they were to pivot a little bit. Well, I mean, we talked about a lot, just the, the need for real-time data. I mean, just the client that we work with, obviously, it's like there's, I think there's huge opportunity outside of just the marketing side just to give business intelligence. And mm -hmm. it's crazy because it, I don't understand why more, more companies aren't just all in on it. Or leveraging it, or I, I, I think there's, I think there's two primary reasons. The first one is within medium to large corporations, the data is not owned by any one department. So let's just take an easy example. You've got accounting and marketing, or let's say maybe accounting, marketing, and sales. Each one of those business units has different objectives and different leadership and different incentive structures. And part of their power is in keeping what they do within the walls of their business unit. So for example, the accountants don't want marketing fiddling with the accounting numbers. The sales don't want marketing fiddling with their sales objectives for a lot of reasons. A lot of them are mm -hmm. practical, but a lot of it comes down to, I mentioned the word ego before, but when you're working for a corporation versus working for yourself, I mean, you work for a corporation, like you've got personal objectives that you need to achieve each year. Yeah, there's like overall business objectives mm -hmm. that you get a bonus on or not, but most of them are personal objectives. Like you need to achieve these five things in order to meet your goals. So I'm not gonna share those goals with, I'm not gonna allow other parts of the organization to help me with that. So that that's one of the things is the data siloed. The data is just siloed. I mean, that's actually probably the biggest thing. And that's, I mean, that's what made Amazon grow so quickly is, uh, I can't remember what I read it on, but basically that was what helped them grow was because of that most people have like own their own data and don't share across departments where they basically create an API and let it mm -hmm. all communicate to each other, which allowed them to get business insights to make decisions better, quicker, faster, mm -hmm. all that type of stuff. Um, there's another, another, um, Another example, and I talked about the knowledge gap earlier. I mean, who in your organization is not just a legit, the, the term business analyst, there's lots of definitions of business analysts, but maybe there needs to be a new category. And, and a lot of organizations have these people who can look at numbers and make business decisions based on them. Um, but who, who in your organization is looking across all that data 
and forget about the data at first, but who's critically thinking about um, putting data sets together that should be put together? Like you've got a uh, department that's production oriented. So they source raw materials and produce a product. Mm -hmm. And then you got sales over here at the end of the funnel. And they're looking at like, you know, cycle, uh, sales objectives and commission structures, all these sorts of things. Someone should be putting those numbers together. And of course, accounting and finance do, and they do financial reporting, but that's at the macro level. That's not on like a daily, weekly, monthly basis. So, you know, that that's a, a rigor that needs to be put into marketing. Because marketing is responsible for both. Uh, yeah. they're, they're kind of beholden to both groups. So I would say it's the marketing's group. It's not, it's not an analytics job. It's a business analyst job. Yeah. I mean, it just more and more see just marketing and sales and everything coming together. Mm -hmm. I mean, more and more, which I mean, it's absolutely needed because it's I mean, how many times it's like, oh, we had all these leads and then the salespeople are like, oh, they're crap and stuff like that. But it's it's figuring out how to tie them together on, okay, well, why are they not doing good? What types of what types of uh, communication are we sending out to drive these leads? How can we position the, the messaging a little bit different? It's just a huge, huge gap in, in that area. Just, I mean, just tying it all together. Yeah, and it, it goes way beyond Google Analytics. <laughs> it goes way beyond Google Analytics. Have you used anything outside of, I mean, obviously Google Analytics, because um, I mean, been in Tableau before, uh, Salesforce. I mean, it's tough to find like something that just ties everything together. Rather than name drop, because there's a lot of technology out there. Mm -hmm. I, I really think, like we said before, the objective isn't to be a technology, is not to use some cool technology. It has to start, and this sounds like, you know, again, kind of cliche, but you have to start with an objective. Like, what's your objective here? And then there are certain tools like Power BI or some of those, like there's just a cost to entry. It's not just the, what does it cost for a license? It's, do you have people mm -hmm. that can actually use it? And is the data going into it good? I mean, that's a, that's a project before you should even like set some objectives, dedicate a team, um, you know, make sure your data is good, have an integration plan, already know what you're trying to get out of it before you go buy something. The yeah. problem is you go buy it, you check the box and say, we, we use Salesforce. <laughs> like, really? You, it looks like a place where you throw your email addresses. Yeah. And I mean, not even. That's an expensive place to throw your email addresses. I was going to say, not even leveraging 90% of its capability, mm -hmm. um, which, I mean, it's super powerful. I mean, lead scoring, all that, all that type of stuff, but it's just underutilized quite a bit. I think if you were to look at, you know, you think of kind of some of those classic books of like Good to Great or some of those mm -hmm. other sorts of books and looking at, what companies have stood the test of time. I mean, there's some, you know, they've done all the research, go read the book. But I think if you were to look at some of the more successful companies within the same industry, like auto industry or whatever, the ones that are industry leaders, like Southwest, you say, oh, they're industry leaders because they have, you know, they're really strong in their brand, have good customer service, mm -hmm. and they're authentic and fun and all these sorts of things. Yes, but I bet Wall Street cares about that. But you also need really, really good financial metrics. And you don't get really, really good financial metrics by smiling at your guests. <laughs> you do. Yeah. It helps. It's part it of, absolutely part of. does. But my guess is they have data that's connected and they're making really, really smart business decisions because yeah. their data is connected. 
and it just takes a team to analyze it. But I mean, outside of the analyst, an- analyzing it, it's why is this happening and what actionable mm-hmm. plans can we put together and then execute on it? I mean, That's- it sounds really simple to say. I, th- I really think, you know, the more we're talking about this, I really think we're chasing cool technology. And I think not only agencies, but I think clients are chasing that stuff too. I don't I don't know if there's an infographic that exists about this, but it'd be fascinating to look at all the betas that Google's rolled out over the last 15 years. Oh, they, I mean, it's and like how 20, many, 30 a month almost, yeah. it seems like. And I how mean, many it's... of those don't succeed? Most of them. <laughs> I mean, we still have keyword search. <laughs> you know, yep. search console, yeah. it's about the same. Maybe some new bells and whistles. Um, moving back to geofencing. I think there are a couple really like low hanging fruit industries. And I think it has to do with industries that are physically close in proximity to one another. Things like car dealerships. You are, when you're in the auto mall, you are shopping for a car and there your competitors are on every corner. I think that's an industry that if they're not using it already, Mm -hmm. it probably work. I mean, you can go high, medium, low as far as sophistication, right? You could just serve ads or you could do retargeting or you could get more more sophisticated and integrate all sorts of things. Another one would be hotels and um, in that industry because a lot of times in, you know, there's hotels grouped together. I mean, that, that seems like a logical or restaurants or downtown areas. Yeah. That seems like a logical place to have restaurants and retail and hotels all be talking to those people on their devices as they're walking around. Yeah. Entertainment districts, same deal. It's basically people that are coming and going multiple times throughout the month or whatever it may be. How 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 would you see the hotel one working? Just because it's, it's go stay at a hotel, probably not gonna come back or. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, hotels kind of thrive on a couple of things. One is the business traveler. That's you're true. Not, you're not gonna get the business. I guess it depends on the hotel. You're not gonna get the business traveler because they usually book either someone books it for them or mm-hmm. they book through a corporate account and they have an account with Hyatt or whatever. So you're not going to get that. The other one is uh, the seasonal uh, family or couple or individual visitor to like take Denver, for example. They've got various festivals downtown at certain times of the year or whatever, jazz festivals. And people come in from out of town. Um, so really the opportunity there, most people book hotels in advance through portals or mm-hmm. you know, orbits or whatever. But I think the real opportunity there is to cross sell to partners, get people to come take food and beverage, which is high margin, um, selling shows through mm-hmm. you know, partnerships and all those sorts of things. I think it's to activate customers when they're physically there. Makes sense. Not the business traveler though. I mean, you could do the business travel, but usually their agenda's set. They got this conference over here, it's booked, their car's booked, their hotel's booked, their flight's booked. Yeah, they're, they're almost kind of off the table. I'm sure we could come up with some ways. Yeah, yeah with the, uh, I mean, what's super interesting is what they, they have now is like conversion zone. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, not only can you target people that have been to a certain location, you mm-hmm. can put a fence over your own location. I mean, it's, do you see the value in that? Do you think it's accurate? If it needs to be super accurate, it's better than the information yeah. if you don't have it. Yeah. I mean, I'm even thinking about, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, take websites, for example, if you take website as a digital proxy for a physical location, right? And I mean, there's heat maps, scroll maps, all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. It's kind of fundamentally the same. My issue with all that stuff is it just gets underutilized. It just gets underutilized. All the data that we have gets underutilized. So if you have a conversion zone around something, like that's sweet. 
So I put that in front of you on a monthly basis. Like I might even say, hey, here's your conversion zone. Here's the ads that are converting best in the proximity and stuff. So what? Yeah. So what? What are you going to do about it? Well, we're out of budget for creative. Uh, so that's all, that's always the barrier is like, well, let's shift more money here. Yeah. Or, or maybe the recommendation is, okay, so we've got this pool of money and let's say we've got 30% in search, 30% in display and 30% in geofencing. And we see this working, then you got to compare it against the other two. And it's like, well, the cost per acquisition is not quite as good as these other channels. But then the conversation should be like, well, where in the funnel is this advertising supposed mm -hmm. to be helping people? And so any, anyway, I, I think the data is really good. I think we have that sort of visualization and I think it's panned out on websites, but I just don't think we use, marketers don't use the data enough. And then businesses who the marketers work for don't have budget or time or know-how or interest in doing anything with the data. Yeah, no, it'll be fun because uh, I mean, get the foot weekly foot traffic. And so as we get it going, it'll be fun to, to watch. Mm -hmm. And see how it impacts sales. Yeah, I mean, any, I, I think there's we, huge opportunity. I mean, it's, we can do to. I don't like using attribution because it gets misused all the time and misunderstood. But anything we can do to get closer to understanding marketing spend as it ties to the final objective of a business, be it sales or whatever. I mean, that's worth its weight in gold. Oh yeah, it's worth yeah. its weight in gold. I mean, it seems like everyone's been kind of going the CRM route and connecting data you know, marketing to sales data to point of sale. And that's good and that's cool. Um, it requires a lot of infrastructure and tools and staff to maintain all that stuff and connecting data, which we already talked about, is challenging. Um, so I I like it. I like geofencing from the perspective of it being able to maybe, you know, be a one-stop shop, jump over the CRM, mm -hmm. right, to from advertising to sale. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, even Facebook's jumping on it. Now they have that... Uh literally campaigns that optimize towards foot traffic. If mm -hmm. you have a quote unquote store. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, no, I think there's huge opportunity just in the, one of the the links I sent over, it had uh, the geofencing marketing arena is supposed to like triple in mm -hmm. revenue in the next, like, like in, in ad spend in the next, I think it's four years. Mm -hmm. And so it's, uh, people are investing a lot more into it. it. It's. Yeah. I wonder, I just kind of wonder about those things is, is the availability of technology leading that? Is the demand from customers or marketers leading that? Or is there practical value in leading that? Um, and the other thing too is I've noticed, especially with how uh, media companies, uh, traditional media companies are evolving into being more digital companies, uh, there are a plethora of geofencing and related technology out there that are being sold um, by the same companies that used to sell TV to the same companies that buy traditional. So I'm wondering how much of that is real new growth in media dollars versus yeah. just transferring dollars from one source to the other. Well, I mean, yeah, that's the, how much is leaving traditional and going yeah. into to digital, which actually, I mean, that's, you bring up a good point, the whole connected TV and all that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, um, I mean, it's growing quickly, but going geofencing. One thing that's interesting is, uh, I mean, we've mentioned it before the blip, um, mm -hmm. billboards. Yeah. Um, I mean, still want to test this where, I mean, this is where you can have the, I want to hear your thoughts on what attribution and mm -hmm. how it gets misused is, but 
I mean, for example, having a billboard and then doing a geofence around that billboard so that the people that are driving down the freeway that see the billboard are now in your geofence. So now you can target them across, uh, I mean, with banner ads and stuff like that. But there are some companies that can take the geofencing and actually start serving TV ads. I mean, it's it's crazy. Yeah, I mean... It's kind of like, going, it, I mean, it, it's tough with the messaging. I mean, you can create such an awesome story. I mean, knowing that they drove by it, they're going to see the ad and then you can hit them on their, their mobile device if they're in a certain area. And then whenever they get home, show an ad on TV. I mean, telling a story from each, each touch point. I think there's so much power in there, but yeah. going back to your point on the, the, what makes it tough is the budget. I mean, to create yeah, I, all the content. As we're there. talking about this, I, I think that's, you know, it's easy to say, oh, that's creative problem or, oh, that's the brand agency's problem or, oh, that's the, you know, the budget. I think that's our challenge. That's a challenge that we need to figure out. I mean, it's one thing to put together a strategy of what a geofencing advertising platform can do. Mm -hmm. I think that's not where the plan needs to stop. I think, I mean, I, there's plenty of plans, strategic plans and, you know, campaign plans that show a tactic, you know, strategy, tactic, budget, timeline. That's cool. But that doesn't mean it works. It doesn't mean it's feasible. It doesn't mean, and I, I kind of say, you know, what's the activation team or activation plan? So yeah, we have a timeline, but how are you actually gonna do that? How, yeah. You say there's a line item for reporting and optimization. And you might even say like, here's what we're gonna optimize against. But do you actually have dollars associated to it? Do you actually have a team associated to it? Have you set up, you know, any process and procedure yeah. to like do your, weekly, monthly, quarterly optimizations. Um, so I think that's a challenge that we have to figure out. Like, why is creative a barrier? I think creative is a barrier because of the old paradigm of how we work. Yeah, you I know, agree. I don't think that's, you know, if there's good technology out there and it produces ROI, then we need to figure it out. I mean, and what are your thoughts on, because uh, I mean, it's all labor hours essentially and, mm -hmm. and all that, but what if the whole model changes to performance-based, revenue sharing, that type of stuff? I know that's, I mean, scary for some companies and stuff like that, but I think that's more of a partnership where now if the agency or whoever it may be has more skin in the game and making more, then it's like, hey, this, what would it cost you 10 grand to do this video, 15 grand, whatever it is, you know, we'll do it at cost, knowing that we can get 10 of them now, whatever it may be, but because you have that many, different variables running, you're going to produce results more, which then is going to pay, pay back. And I, I, I don't know. I, 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 uh, I just think I, the whole model just needs to change I, somehow. I would welcome any business that would want to go performance-based and it has little to do with being, you know, proud of capabilities. It's just because that that's, I don't know, fair is not the right word. That seems yeah. right. Yeah. Like no one, no business ever comes to you and just their objective is do whatever you want. <laughs> like no objective is ever there. Yeah. They always have an objective, sell more, get more. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's something. So why aren't we held accountable to that? I don't know. I mean, when I was in school, my parents held me accountable to grades. When I was on a team, coach held me accountable to performance. Sales teams are commissioned based on their performance. Yeah. You know, I, I don't understand. Yeah. You know, uh, production companies, they're, uh, compensated based on like throughput and cycle time and all these sorts of things. Like why does marketing get like a, a free pass? I don't understand. Yeah. I've never understood that. Yeah. Well, I mean, just most agencies, whenever it's 
running ads and stuff like that. It's a percentage of the overall budget, but it's like, mm -hmm. I just think overall there's a whole different way to work together. And I mean, it, it's, it's going back to the reporting. Most companies don't like to have a line item for reporting, but it's like, that's what's needed to push performance. And so it's like, if you're performance based working together, that, that takes all those line items and everything out of it because it's, that's what needs to be done to push that performance. You know what I mean? It takes, here's one of my, I don't know, it's not a gripe, but anyway, here's, I think, one of the primary reasons why performance-based stuff doesn't work. This isn't the right equation, but when most people look at that, that's scary. It's just an equation we learned, you know, it, again, it's not the equation for figuring out performance-based marketing. It's math. People yeah. are scared of math. Yeah, yeah, math and numbers. Math and numbers. You see this and then three or four more of these in a contract, you've lost them here. You've lost them here. It's just, is this just something made up or yeah, is this no, an actual? Oh, no, okay. this is just something made up. I'm, just, oh, okay. I'm trying to gotcha. illustrate people are scared yeah. of math. Not everyone, not all clients, not all agencies, not all businesses are scared of math. There's plenty of math involved in a lot of contracts, but mm -hmm. in marketing oriented contracts, you may be buying impressions. You, you may have a budget you need to spend in a certain advertising channel with some loose expectations mm -hmm. around industry benchmarks of conversion rate or click-through rate or something like that. You throw this performance-based sort of stuff at someone, I've seen it happen a lot of times. Really? It just, it gets too complicated, too fast and people don't know what to do with it. Even when you do a, even when you just do a conversion funnel and do percentages like this, normal conversion funnel, we can work it this way and most people understand this number. Mm -hmm. Try working it back that way with a client. <laughs> that, I mean, that's going back to attribution and everything like that, I mean. No, I mean, just the simple, the simple act of going mm -hmm. it backwards. Just explaining, if you have this, and you have this, you can get this. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. You know, anyway, there, there's a, it's not a fear of math, it's a lack of understanding of math. And you can see that in kind of the transition that's happened in upper management and marketing over the last decade. You know, the new crop is, has been, has grown up with digital and digital is generally more measurable than traditional. Mm -hmm. So, Numbers aren't as scary. So it's just literally just a shift in decision, decision makers and, and yeah. Yeah. So, so I, to wrap this up, it might be, it might offend some people about being scared about math, but try putting a complex performance-based contract in front of somebody. And it's not about them desiring to compensate you based on the performance. It's about the sale, it's the sales process and the measurement of that process and then being comfortable with it. Does it just take, I mean, yeah, I guess how do you defeat that? Just wait for. Well, that's again, our challenge. I mean, you yeah. can make it, you can make it more simple. They don't need to see all the math. Yeah. Um, you could just say you pay $10,000, you get a hundred leads, whatever it is. You can make it simpler. Gotcha. I think it behooves, you know, especially if you're talking to, depending on the type of CEO, definitely a CFO. And a lot of times the, COO, they're more numbers oriented. You need to show them the math. 
CEOs, CMOs, depending on the CMO, what their interest in numbers is, they might understand it. <laughs> you think the CMO that, that, it's not would being be... offensive. I yeah. mean, CEO is generally visionary. You know, CMO depends on their background. They might really, really be analytically driven or not. Um, it just depends on your audience. Yeah. CFO probably wants to see it. Yeah. Because, I, I mean, this way makes sense because, I mean, you start talking about conversion rate optimization. That's I mean, there's so many different line items for that where you got – there's so many different things to test. And mm-hmm. then that that could quickly add up in terms of just the cost. And so doing something like this allows for more things to be done that actually drive revenue, sales, all that type of stuff. Yeah. It takes – it takes I mean, it it takes trust on the client's behalf and it takes faith – on the agency, faith in your team yeah. on the agency side. But again, how do you build that trust and how do you have the faith in your team if you're not trying it? Yeah. I mean, why would you run a team that isn't accountable to their performance? <laughs> yeah. I mean, true. seriously, I, it seems like our accountability is delivering something on time. And and there's some quality yeah. coefficients. Yeah. There's some quality coefficients of like it's got to be good. Yeah. It's got to meet certain standards. Or if you you know if someone gives you a budget of ten thousand, you got to spend ten thousand. Did you spend ten thousand? Yeah, we spent ten thousand. But that's not the goal. Yeah. Produce something on time or spend a budget. <laughs> I mean, that's not a. Yeah. It's yeah. not in any business plan. <laughs> yeah. No, it's interesting because I I mean, it, I it'll go more towards this as. As time goes on, I feel, I think it should. I yeah, because so. it just makes sense. Yeah. But going back to the attribution stuff. So why do you think people, uh, it, it's funny because it's, I had this conversation all the time. I mean, at an agency at one point, uh, had had a uh, same conversation where it's like, what was it, four years ago where it was like, all right, well, the person running search, I mean, was looking at last click and I'm mm-hmm. like, well, why can't we have like, multiple attribution models depending on the channel like if we can all agree that display or video is top of funnel why don't we count first click first impression or whatever and it's just like oh no you can't do that and it's it, it's crazy so mm-hmm. it's it's i don't know what are the the my biggest gripe with attribution right now is it started off the word attribution was synonymous with multi-touch attribution so, so it, customer I, journey. Yeah, was, well, customer journey. Yeah, we could call it that for for now. It it by definition was it. Kind of, I'll call it a sophisticated term for trying to understand the impact of different media types along some form of journey. And then somehow, in the last couple of years, attribution has really turned into this word used for last click. And that just, it doesn't drive me nuts because I understand what it is. But the industry thinks and clients think you use the word attribution, that it's anything different than what we've been doing all along. So as an industry, as a marketing industry, it'd be really nice to, what is attribution? What are we talking about here? Are you trying to understand customer journey metrics? Or are you just trying to understand what's the last thing people did? Yeah. Because well, I, I think those are two different things. One is customer journey. What are all the things they did to convert? But then I, to me, attribution is how did a channel or an ad attribute to the conversion? That doesn't, mm-hmm. it, it, to me, it's first click or, or assisted or last click where does it start the customer mm-hmm. journey? Does it help assist them to the end? And then there's the end. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, going back to what we've talked about before on reporting, it'd be sweet if uh can figure out a way to kind of show that where 
this might be first click. So what our first, first touch point, whatever you mm -hmm. want to call it. So then we report on first touch conversions rather than last click. And cause I mean, you'll quickly get into conversations around, well, this isn't, this isn't converting and this isn't working. Let's cut it. But it's actually starting like 90% of the convert. You know what I mean? And, uh, but I, how do you report on that? Um, I guess, and have that conversation. So I call it an end around and maybe it's a crawl, walk, run might be a better way of looking at it. But <clears throat> the first thing I place, I think you need to start as a conversation with the client, understanding their objectives and really having a keep talking about it until, I mean, a lot of marketers want to do branding, want to do lead generation, want to do lead nurturing, want to do conversion all at the same time at the equal weight. But we all know that's not practical. Mm -hmm. Well, I'd like to think we all know that's not practical. Well, get the, get people, clients to a point where they actually understand that. That's step one. Then once you understand that, let's just be real simple. Say you had one objective for the year. Like literally, let's do this. Draw it out. Here we go. We got a conversion funnel. Let's make a simple one. What do you want to do? Do you want to be 100% here and 0% here? This is closer to the sale. I was going to question, what are the differences between the two? And this yeah. is more awareness? Yeah, just call this awareness. This is super easy funnel. Awareness and sale. So they're going to say, well, certainly not. We need to be more here. Keep working down the percentages until they get comfortable. So let's just say we want to be 50-50. This shouldn't take very long at all. This shouldn't take very long at all. Mm -hmm. The next step is, what channels do awareness? Let's just say display. And let's just say keyword search. Okay, sweet. So now we can actually achieve 50% and 50%. Mm -hmm. Okay, what's your budget? $100,000, okay, $50,000. All right, $50,000. What's your metric? CTR. Conversion rate. CV or whatever. Mm -hmm. Okay. When the report comes out, there's no confusion. Display does not have CVR next to it. Yeah, so it's it's reporting on the different like yeah, because I mean that's that's what you typically see is is you'll I mean everyone knows that CTR and all that is the top of funnel, but whenever the report comes out, it's here's how many conversions, here's our cost per lead, and all that, and it's it's going back to just the reporting and data and stuff like that. It's properly tying the the metrics to to what is being achieved, and we understand this as marketers. We're uh -huh. doing a poor job at communicating it to clients. Even today I was presenting reports and in the midst of a monthly reporting presentation, I had to verbally say for the hundredth time that display by definition, based on your objectives, does not yield conversion. It's a top of the funnel brand awareness thing. We shouldn't, we should expect a high CPA for it. And it had a high CPA mm -hmm. relative to things like keyword search. Well, of course it did. 
It's, we're using it exactly for what it was intended for. So why do we need to say that? Just put it in the report. And then it avoids all that conversation and confusion. We look at this stuff every day. Clients look at it maybe once a month or maybe bi-weekly. So why do we need to keep having this conversation mm -hmm. and confuse them? So it's just a matter of uh, uh, just people assuming attribution is last click. Back to attribution. Your example of like blip billboards mm -hmm. and geofencing around that and then retargeting with connected TV and all that, that stuff is so sweet. Like you and I have talked about it a lot and it would be so sweet. The problem is how much are you willing to invest in it? I mean, first of all, again, we've talked about the creative, just the creative alone. Mm -hmm. And then the real value in digital is not just figuring out what works for different audiences and touching them in all different places, um, but being able to measure it and optimize it. So you create this bundle of creative. Oh, we create it for one segment. We have 10 segments. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's say you multiply that times 10, but maybe there's some efficiencies. So you only multiply it by five because you figure out a template. Okay, then what? Well, after two weeks, we found some statistically significant data that says we should change three of the 10 things. Yeah. Then what? Oh, well, it takes six weeks to get our creative process done and we got to go find more money and then we get it back into market. And by then, you know, I mean, the opportunity's gone, the campaign's over or the seasons change or whatever. So that, I, I love all that as a marketer and as a digital guy, but practically speaking, unless you're like a Geico or <laughs> something like that, I just, I just don't see how you can, how it maths out feasibly from a budget perspective. I, I think it just needs to be performance-based because it's like, if you, if you invest the time and energy to turn it around that quickly and not have to wait on the client to be like, eh, you know what, I don't know, I'll give you an answer in a week and then, okay, let's go. It's just, it's just too long. I mean, there, it's the cost of not getting to market that much quicker, but if you know that you can turn around in a couple days, mm -hmm. but by doing that, you're going to drive a lot more sales and all that because you're just on top of the real-time data, you're gonna be paid back, which is gonna more than pay for the time to pay your team to, to do it. And I think that's, I think, Changing the model of how agencies and companies work together, I think that's where there's going to be a ton of opportunity. Yeah, I and think there's a there's like a hybrid. You know, we kind of put the challenge out there in a different conversation about it's our problem to fix. Mm -hmm. um, the create I'll call it the creative conundrum. You know, so you've got companies that have technology, and then you've got agencies that have creative, and maybe a different company managing advertising. So, I think it'd be a fascinating idea for an advertising technology company, and some do this, to create um, creative tools and platforms and suites of assets mm -hmm. that advertisers can tap, in, tap into. And not just, you know, boring looking templates. I mean, yeah. a little bit of a white glove customization thing, but again, that's the business, the technology company's job is to figure out how to make it cool looking and financially feasible. But I think there's a there might be a sweet spot for like you mentioned propellant or blip. It's like you don't have a whole creative services group. Maybe you outsource all that, but have some tools that companies can actually realize the benefit of this stuff. Because mm -hmm. without that, it's the value proposition is pretty low. Yeah. And it does it does prevent the performance based situation because you don't even go there. 
You don't yeah. even go down that road because it's just cost prohibitive. Yeah. I mean, an example is, I mean, Colton was making banner ads and found this software where essentially you can throw in copy and an image and poof, spits out an HTML5 ad mm -hmm. within a second. It literally took 10 minutes to make <clears throat> the whole uh, 728 or 720 by 90, mm -hmm. like 10 different sizes. It only took like five minutes. And so it's like, how long would it take for a designer to do that? Where maybe you have, you, you have someone that comes up with a template that's where the, the creative juices get flowing. But then once, once it's created, you can just run through the software. And I mean, I, I've seen upwards of thousand bucks for a, a set of HTML5 ads, but yeah. you, you know, you can get it done. 1500's not uncommon either. <laughs> um, you know, it kind of makes me think of Google responsive ads. Yeah. I mean, they, they're, they're, they're kind of doing what I said is that hybrid model. Mm -hmm. But the, I mean, I've had this conversation a lot of the, the tug of war with between, I'll just call it creative and digital. Where like digital's looking at performance metrics and it's like those Google responsive ads are killing it. But the creative brand agency is like, yes, I understand that. I know our goal is lead generation, but they don't look good because they have different objectives. You yeah. Know, they got to hold brand standards and they need to have the voice and the look and the feel. And they yeah. spend all this money on photo shoots and all this sort of stuff. So now that I'm saying it, the issue is the client has set the wrong objectives and incentives. They should have the same objective, same incentives for everyone doing the work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, because it's, Google has had that for a while, not so much responsive, but a way where you can just, an auto-created tool, literally mm -hmm. it works better. I mean, I, in the last six years, been looking at the data and it's it's it always works better than. I am kind of curious if their stuff is always gonna work better if you look at their data. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, I'm just Google Analytics and all that type of stuff. I mean- What, it, what analytics was it? Google Analytics. Google Analytics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, if you have UTMs on a traditional banner ad and a oh, responsive yeah. ad and yeah. all that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, but I think to your point, technology is what's gonna help bring that barrier of mm -hmm. cost down, whether you have buy-in from everyone where you wanna take that route or whatever it may be, but. I think bringing in more technology will help bring down that cost mm -hmm. um, quite a bit because it's saw a quote the other day and uh, it, it goes, it was like marketing has gone from telling one story to millions mm -hmm. to where we need to be telling millions of stories to one person. And it's like, yeah, but how do you, from an economics perspective, <laughs> how, how do you do that? I mean, granted, you're not going to create a million stories for one person, but the thought is there. It's more mm -hmm. tailored content, more customized content, but how, how can you leverage technology to do that while still, so that whole, this is kind of like a cousin of my thoughts on attribution. It seems a bit romantic to me <laughs> to think about, you know, I, I know one-to-one -one marketing has its place and its value and it's a phrase that's been along for, around for a long time. Mm -hmm. And now digital's kind of taking its own spin on it. it. It kind of is akin to having a discussion about when you're doing like keyword research for SEO. Do you want to find that one long tail keyword that you might get two clicks and one conversion or sale? Mm -hmm. Or would you rather go big volume? Well, here, here's the reality of it is, what are your business objectives? Do you need to sell, you know, is it worthwhile to your business? Maybe you're like a consulting firm, you just need two clients a year. Yeah. So you, you might like, what, what good is it to go high volume? Like you don't need to appeal to the masses. You're going to get junk. You don't have a call center. like. You just want those two highly qualified people. So obviously you need to find different channels, but then it's a one-to-one -one sort of situation. 
lot of content development, all that sort of stuff. But in most cases, you need volume and quality and you got to figure out that balance. Nah. You got to figure out that balance. But you can't have one or the other. And then it is super romantic again to have one-to-one marketing and more than just one message to one person have 15 different messages <laughs> to one person across multiple different types of media channels and all that sort of stuff. Awesome. I've seen it in pitches. I've made those pitches. It looks really, really cool on paper. Yeah. I've, I still have some of those pitches from a decade ago. <laughs> but it, to execute on it and yeah, that's it's tough. Yeah. Now for certain businesses, you know, you know, we've mentioned Sprint, we've mentioned Geico, depending on the size of the business and the different industries they're in. And I mean, let's leave Amazon, Apple and Facebook off the table and Google off the table because, you know, they have the wherewithal to do whatever they want and they're innovative and have the culture to do whatever they want. But, you know, okay, call it medium and large size businesses. Yeah, not so much. Certainly small companies. Like, <laughs> no, no go. Way. No way. I love the idea as a marketer. Again, it's a yeah. bit romantic. Yeah. Yep. Now, strategically, sir, we can create messages and call to actions and pictures and the right channels at the right stages of the funnel and the right metrics and all this sort of stuff. We can go through that routine. Going back to the communication, once it's all created and then handing it off to ad managers and reporting and all that, tying it all together. There goes your that, profit. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, so what are your thoughts on uh, just voice in general? Uh, like brand voice? So just, no, like oh, voice. A- Amazon. Like Alexa? Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, it's come up in past conversations just with the client, but uh, I'm not close to that. And I've been wanting to ask. So I figured uh, this there, is the there was time. this one, and I've seen it a bunch. There's, there's various forms of it called like the hype cycle. Mm-hmm. And it's no different than a product adoption curve. I'll draw that. You need to get a, need a towel for you. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> It, it looks like, you know, product life cycle, mm-hmm. introduction, maturity, extinction. But you can look at it not just for products, but for industries. Let's take voice. So vo- this would be like widely adopted, you know. First of all, I think we need to figure out like, as marketers, what is it? Is it an yeah. advertising channel? Is it a content marketing? Like, what is it? Yeah. And I don't think that's been defined yet. No, I don't think it's been defined yet. So I would put it like from a marketing perspective, from a technology and product perspective, it's like exponential growth. It's like kind of in here. But from a marketing perspective, I don't know if it's at the beginning, but it's not much further past the beginning. Like it hasn't hit its exponential growth curve. Yeah. It just hasn't, it hasn't gotten there yet. So if the consumption or the usage is over here and marketing is over here, is it just a matter of marketers haven't tried to figure it out or is so, it just, just- So the marketing of the products and the use of the products from a consumer perspective, like take Alexa. Yeah. People are buying Alexa, the yeah. product. There's a lot of competition to Alexa. People are starting to use it. Like, not that it's worthwhile, but what's the question of the day? <laughs> like that's not adding value to my life really or yeah. whatever. So marketing of the product- is in the exponential curve, but marketers using it to achieve other objectives, uh, that hasn't happened yet. And I think a, a lot of it is, um, I think I think it's two things. One is companies aren't, they don't set aside money to do R&D. 
if you're like Intel or Ford Motor Company or whatever, you have an R&D budget. Yeah. You're developing electric cars. You're developing the microchip of the future. You have to, or you're, yeah. you're going to die. But most other companies and most other industries, how many have a technology R&D budget? Not, not, a, not an IT, a marketing technology R&D budget or an advertising R&D budget. Yeah. No, not many. Not many. So what's going to fuel marketing's use of this? There needs to be new entrants into the technology. There needs to be new technology companies that have the purpose of developing marketing tools for Alexa or voice. Yeah. I mean, I to me, I, I take it back to like phones. I mean, the first app that was, I think, developed was literally it looks like you have beer and then it looks like you're chugging it. But <laughs> as, as more companies developed apps that actually were for everyday use mm -hmm. and then you got more consumption rather yeah. than, oh, look at this. This is cool. Like, then I think that's where, all right, well, more attention is there. And mm -hmm. I think, yeah, you're right. That's it's just it's a matter of this maybe moving up a bit more so that people are using it for more than just well, question of the day. So there's a gap. And this is maybe simplifying it, but you got a tech gap. And then probably the bigger one is you have a customer utility gap. Customer utility being how valuable is it? Gotcha. Not just how valuable is in your day to life, but is that a place where I am going to effectively consume advertising? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, because at first it's actually using apps or your mobile phone. Once mm -hmm. these came out, it was a couple times a day, but now it's like people are on them yeah. 300 times a day almost. And so that's, I think, yeah, as as there's more uses for voice, that's where when people are using and engaging it more, I think it's kind of a shiny new thing now, but as it gets adopted more and then companies start making things for it and building upon it, I think that's where... I mean, as a as a society oh, in America, uh, I can't speak to other countries. Um, you know, it's in our cars. Yeah, it's in our houses. Um, I don't know how it's used in workplace, like manufacturing or anything like that. Not sure if there's a use case for it, but there's certainly more adoption. Um, again, I'm not sure even about the products themselves. Like, I, I'm sure there's stats somewhere, but like. What's the utilization of the products themselves? Because without the utilization of the product, it doesn't make sense for advertisers to be there. Yeah. And what do you mean utilization of the product? Like, like am I using, like, is there a stat that says, what's Alexa used for? I'm sure there are stats. Gotcha. Like, I, like I said, I use the joke of like, what's the question of the day? Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's the utility of that is very, very small. Or Alexa set my alarm for 5 a.m. Mm -hmm. Like that's cool because it's a nice alarm clock, but I already have an alarm clock. I got one on my phone, on my watch, on my desk, on my yeah. like. That's not gonna. That's not gonna move this move marketing uh, adoption up the high yeah. cycle. And I think as people get closer over here and start using it more, there's gonna be more apps or skills or whatever it may be mm -hmm. built upon that. And then as people, <laughs> I mean, yeah, like you got QuickBooks on your phone. You got. I mean, there as there are more utility uses for it, I think, yeah, to your point, that's when. Yeah, so, okay, so the challenge, you mentioned skills. I was out looking for skills of a particular industry to present a business case um, to a client. And I was shocked, first of all, by how few companies were developing skills. Mm -hmm. Sir, so there are one-off developers, kind of like the app culture. Yeah. like you know, you're chugging a beer example. <laughs> like there's all sorts of quality of apps. 
uh, first, so it's like kind of like a one man shop sort of industry. And then the company there for the skill developers who had legitimate companies, I'll call it with more than two people. Mm -hmm. And this isn't the, the, I'm sure there are sophisticated companies developing skills. There are, but I was shocked by just looking at their websites. You know, the brand of a website says a lot about the company. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were under, they were very small companies, not a lot of sophistication, purely tech because their brand presence didn't look good. And just looking at their websites tells me that that industry is not there yet. Yeah. It's just not there. And then the other thing too, if you think about who's making uh, voice tools, there's some of the bigger advertisers. Amazon is the third biggest advertiser. Yeah. Facebook. Google, I mean, they're going to monetize that at some point. Right now, they're probably just collecting data and developing oh, technology and seeing how people are using it. They're going to monetize it at some point. Yeah. You know, it's not going to be long and there might already be there, you know, when you can buy ads on Google Voice. Well, that, that's and that's that's where I go is like as people use them more and start shopping. Hey, Alexa, I need toothpaste. Like what's going to be the toothpaste that shows up or is it going to be the one that you always pick? I think. There's going to be a lot of opportunity just on that that side of things where whenever you ask a question, what's mm -hmm. going to be the first answer that shows up? And it's not like search where now you have 10, 15 different selections. It's literally what Amazon or Google tells you. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. And that actually fixes some of the, the creative gaps that we were talking about earlier. Um, you know, from an AI perspective, you can dynamically produce sentences based on queries. Yeah. Natural language stuff and AI. I mean, it's it's out there. It's there. So if you're searching for verbally searching for toothpaste or detergent or Alexis or Nike shoes, you don't have to create new creative. Yeah. You don't have to. Just say, we've got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, now, granted, it would, it would, it would yeah. send you to a different destination. Mm -hmm. But I mean, think that that like removes that whole barrier we were talking to about creative. Yeah. It's gone. Yeah. Just how dynamic search yeah. ads, dynamic search, dynamic keyword insertion. Think about dynamic keyword insertion for voice. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, going back to uh, just there not being a lot of utility for this. I mean, I know we mentioned it before. It would be so cool because literally the the natural language. I can't remember what company it was, but can tie into Google Analytics. Mm -hmm. I mean, and then you can tie that into Google Assistant. I mean. How cool would it be to get companies that can literally say, how were my sales from Facebook last week? Or how were my leads or phone call clicks or whatever it may be? You can say things and then, I mean, how much time would that save an agency, which then you can reduce that line item. And then all of a sudden you have more efficiencies on both ends where you're mm -hmm. not spending time reporting, all that type of stuff. But I think there's a lot of opportunity in creating the utility. I mean, as you mentioned, the, the companies that are out there now, there's not a whole lot. Yeah. And so it, I think, yeah, there's a lot of opportunity. And I mean, something simple is um, we've talked about companies having daily meetings or whatever it may be. And, and it takes a lot of time. That's a mm -hmm. lot of labor hours. What if the, the head person, the person leading could just say it into Alexa and then all of a sudden you have a, an Alexa brief for everyone. Mm -hmm. As long as you listen to it once a day, people then consume it on their own time. You might not have people that listen or whatever it may mm -hmm. be, which that's a different thing. But all of a sudden you could use this Alexa or, or voice to run those daily meetings, which took, I mean, X amount of hours times everyone. I mean, that's that's it's a lot of hours. Yeah, I'm thinking about, you know, those of you that are in the development world, 
you know, your daily standup, right? Yeah. On how projects are flowing through the system. I mean, it, there's value in physically standing up and huddling as a team and walking through and like working on, you know, what's in progress, what's finished, what's on deck, that sort of stuff. But I mean, there's lots of use cases. I mean, you could, instead of typing it, you could say it. Instead of listening, you know, to physical people and their ramblings, you could get it read to you. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're used to right now where we see things on screens and we type things into screens and our only talking is physically sitting in a meeting room, being on a phone. And, and that's kind of where it stops. So we're, we're kind of, because we, because we're virtual teams now and we work all around the world. I mean, we all know this, there's less physical communication than there used to be. So we're reintroducing using one of our, five, one of our senses, <laughs> you know, I mean, yep. Our ears. Yeah. No, it's funny. I I cannot wait until that shifts to where people aren't emailing anymore. I'm. Uh, I mean, you've seen them the the videos that mm-hmm. that you can do. I I love that because it's oh, like it's great. It you can just communicate so much more. There's no loss in translation. You can mm-hmm. show people what you're talking about. I mean, there. Yeah. How much back and forth is there? Because I mean, and I'm not short with my words, and so it's like long long <laughs> emails, and then it's just like there's so much back and forth, just so much wasted time that I think voice and then video using technology to not have to have cameras and all that to, mm-hmm. to produce it. I think, yeah, it'll just create a lot of efficiencies. And as that happens, and that makes for more of a utility on those devices, mm-hmm. which then I think that's where. And the other thing too about, and, and this is, you know, we all know this, but this getting from point A to B, let's just say it used to take X years. It's mm-hmm. going to take, you know, X minus one years now or X minus two years. It's going to happen faster. Yeah. It's going to happen faster. So whatever it is, I, I would like to think if I was investing some R&D money, I would put some R&D money behind voice. And I think I there will be, if you're thinking about an agency putting money behind voice, I think if you were savvy enough, I think you would be not just be thinking about how you could sell it as a service, but what products could you make as offerings? Going back to you. Yeah. I mean, a reporting suite. Just yeah. So make some tools. Yeah. Then you've diversified your company. You offer products and service. You have safety in the ups and downs of markets. I mean, build some products. 